Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Lord, we do pray, draw us near, nearer to thy riven side, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, now we've been studying the sufferings of the Lord Jesus, and this is uh, one thing to, 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 to know that the Lord Jesus died for our sins, but it's altogether different to know the specifics. When Paul talked about that, he talked about it in Philippians 3.10, he said, that I may know him, and then he went on to say, and, and the fellowship of his sufferings, that I may know his sufferings that I may know his sufferings. This is what Psalm 22 gives us uh, beyond any other portion in the scripture is the specific sufferings of the sacred head now wounded. What thou, my Lord, has suffered was all for sinners' gains. My mind was the transgression, but thine the deadly pain. So here we are, and Psalm 22 is so amazing because in this psalm, we can hear the heart of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, when others looked at the Lord on the cross, what astound, what was so astounding and so remarkable was his silence. And this is what's emphasized in, in Isaiah 53. In Isaiah 53, it says, he was oppressed. Isaiah 53, 7. Isaiah 53, 7. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He's brought as a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before her shears is done. So he openeth not his mouth. This is what the high priest saw when they brought him before him and they, and, and they put all these charges in front of him. And it says in Matthew 26, 63, Matthew 26, 63, Jesus held his, his peace. And the high priest answered and said, I adjure thee by the living God that you tell us whether thou be Christ, the Son of God. This was so amazing when Pilate, Pilate asked him to make a defense for yourself. Stand up for yourself in Matthew 27, 12. Matthew 27, 12. And when he was accused of the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Then said Pilate unto him, Hearest thou not how many things they witnessed against thee? He answered him to never a word. Insomuch the governor marveled greatly. Herod questioned him with many questions in Luke 23, 9. Luke 23, 9. Then he answered him with many words, but he answered him nothing. With this constant silence of the Lord that was so astounding. And, 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 and you'd think, when you, when you look at that, that, that the Lord was, was just quiet. He didn't say anything. He was just silent. Just, and you wonder, was he really silent? Psalm 22 says, no. No, he wasn't. Because Psalm 22 starts off with the first verse and says that, Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not in the night season. And am not silent. Am not silent. 
So he was silent from audible words, but in his heart, he's far from silent. And what he is saying here in Psalm 22 is all that his heart felt as he was there on the cross. He was very conscious in verse 7 when it says, all they that see me. We saw that, that he was stripped of his clothing, the shame of being naked there. It brought back to, to Adam and Eve when it says in, 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 after they sinned in, in, in Genesis, uh, before they sinned rather, in Genesis 2.25, Genesis 2.25, they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. That was a wonderful innocence that they enjoyed. But after they, 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 they sinned in Genesis 3.7, Genesis 3.7, the eyes of them both were open. They knew they were naked and they sewed fig leaves to themselves. And it gave a fear in Genesis 3.10, in Genesis 3.10, uh, Adam says, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. And, 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 and then the Lord asked them in Genesis 3.11, Genesis 3.11, Who told thee that thou was naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I told thee thou shouldst not eat it? So this first consequence of the sin, the shame of the nakedness, as it says in Revelation 3.18, Revelation 3.18, the shame of thy nakedness. How amazing to see the Lord on the cross with no clothing. And there on the cross, he had no clothing for one reason, that we might never be in that state. He did that for us so that we could join Isaiah in Isaiah 61.10, Isaiah 61.10, who says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. I mean, here we are, we are that in that state. He has clothed us. It brings us back to Adam and Eve and after they had sinned against the Lord. We read in Genesis 3.21, Genesis 3.21, unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. Can you imagine that? That there they are sitting there in the, the sin of the, 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 the shame and, and all, and it, and there's three wonderful words at the end of, of uh, Genesis 3.21. And clothed them. He made them. He didn't say to an angel. Jehovah Jesus didn't say to an angel, they look terrible down there. Will you just go get some, make some clothes for them and clothe them already? He didn't do that. He said, no, no, that's a job for me. I will make the skins for them and I will clothe them. And we can imagine Adam and Eve saying, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. He hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. And then Je Jehovah Jesus at the same, same time, thinking to himself, yes, to you and also to your descendants as well. And we can imagine that Jehovah Jesus, as he's clothing Adam and Eve, and he's thinking to himself, it's going to cost me a lot. It's going to cost me 2 Corinthians 5.21. 2 Corinthians 5.21. For he hath made him to be sin or the sin offering for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So on the cross, he's unclothed so that he can clothe us. As it says in, in Psalm 132.16, Psalm 132.16, I will also clothe her priests with salvation. It's so beautiful. It's so wonderful when we see this. You know, this was, when, when the prodigal son is returning back to the father, the first thing the father does, it says in Luke 15, 20, Luke 15, 20, 
And he arose and came to his father. And when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto the father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe and put it on him. The father looks at him and says, he looks terrible. Bring, no, he just shouldn't stay in that state anymore. Bring forth the, the best robe. We saw earlier that in Revelation 7.13, Revelation 7.13, one of the elders came to John and said, who are these which are arrayed in white robes? And this is, the, this is what he suffered for us for. He suffered being stripped naked so that we could, we, we would never be in that state. And he looks at us and he says, uh, no. He says, sin is dirty, it's rotten, it stinks. And I'll clothe it. Let me have those filthy rags. We'll get rid of all those filthy rags from, my, from, from Isaiah 64, 6. And we'll, we're going to clothe him with robes of righteousness. This is wonderful. So we see that the Lord suffered all this. Another thing we see about the Lord in Psalm 22 is verse 14, where he says, I am poured out like water. So verse 14, I am poured out like water. Such a, such a finality as we saw to being poured out like water. And the point is, is that God found a way so that we would never be poured out like water. We would never be in that state. And that's a great news for us as the Lord did that for us. Then he goes on and and he says, all my bones are out of joint in verse 14. He speaks about all his bones. He speaks about all his bones being out of joint, which means that the pain was so intense that he could feel all his bones. He stretched out on a cross. The outline of his bones is seen so clearly and through whatever skin and tissue he still had there after the scourging. And he's describing now that all his bones are out of joint. We can only imagine the, the immense pain that he was experiencing. You know, the Hebrew word for uh, out of joint here is a, is a Hebrew word, parad, parad. Uh, if, if you've ever cooked a chicken or, you, you'll, or prepared a chicken anyway, for, for cooking, you'll know what this is. Parad is, is, is used for that, that, that when you take your fingers and you push them between a, a, a chicken uh, 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 the, the hip, or the, what do you call it there, and the thigh, or you, you, you separate and you push down and then you pop and it snaps it out, that's parad. So what he's saying here is that, you know, it's not breaking the bones, but it's pushing into the joints till they separate like that. That snap, that pop, that's parad. And this is the word that the, the Lord has used here when he says, all my bones are parad. They've all been popped or snapped out of joint. You know, this was the intention of the cruelty of the Romans in the, in the crucifixion with the very heavy cross, the wood, the very heavy cross, and the person, the crucified person was, was, was of course, nailed to that cross, fixed to that cross. And then when they dug the, the socket in the ground for the cross to be set in, a deep hole, they would lift it up high and then let go, and it would fall with a great thug. And as it did, the inertia and the momentum of that just pulled the bones out of joint. And, and, and so as the force of that pulled it out of joint. But there's another reason why his, his bones might have been out of joint. And that's because our joints are held together by connective tissues, ligaments, sinews. And, and the, the tissues function, these, these holding tissues, connective tissues, they function because of the blood supply that they receive. Our bodies, you know, are 60% is made up of water, and that means that the, sigmas, the, the, the ligaments and the sinews, you know, that they, that they rely on water to hold together. 
So here the Lord is. He's bleeding. He's perspiring. He's losing water. As a matter of fact, this is the actual cause of his death. His death by dehydration. So as his ligaments and his sinews are becoming dehydrated, they give up their, their holding ability. And so he says, all my bones are out of joint. And it affects all his joints. He says, all my bones. And then he goes on and he says in verse 14, my heart is, is melted. My heart is like wax melted in the midst of my bowels. He speaks of his heart here. And, and he, he has compared his heart to wax under an intense heat source. Just as wax melts under fire, melts under heat, he says, my heart is melted. I mean, it's frightening to hear this. When we look here, then who is this? This is the great lion of the tribe of Judah. This is the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. And the heat that has melted the Lord's heart is the heat of the judgment of God. And if his heart melted under the judgment of God, nobody has a chance of being able to endure or hold up under the judgment of God. And then he speaks of, in in verse 15, he says that his strength is dried up like a potsherd. Here he is, here we see the Lord. He's fighting, he's fighting, he's fighting. He's putting all of his strength, every last amount of strength that he has, he's put into this fight. And it's running out. And he no longer has any strength. He says in in verse 15, my strength is dried up like a potsherd. We can only imagine that maybe around the cross there, maybe, maybe there was some broken pottery. I would like for us to, to before communion service, uh, like, like today, I would like for each one of us to have a piece of broken pottery in our hands so that we could just enter into and feel more of what he felt when he said that his strength was like a broken piece of pottery. You know, pottery that's formed, the wet clay that's formed in a pot and, and, and then put into a, a, a kiln and, and with the fire to drive out all the moisture from it to make it hard. And maybe he's from the cross there. He's looking down and he, he sees a broken piece of pottery. And he said, that's me. I'm like that. Job was outside of town there. And he had boils all over his body. And he said he scraped himself with a broken piece of pot in Job 2a. Job 2a, he took him a potsherd to scrape himself. And this is his strength. His strength is drying up. He's come to a place where he says, my strength is drying up. He's in a state of utter exhaustion. His courage is dried up. He's in utter discouragement. And the Lord's strength and his courage is drying up. And we see the sterling determination of the Lord as he's taking the position that even though I'm in this state of exhaustion and discouragement, I will fight on. And that's the Lord. Just like Job said in Job 13, 15, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. And his strength is drying up, and his hope is drying up, and he continues to pray as he's pressing on. His own strength is gone. His strength, he says, my my, my strength is dried up. But he doesn't stop calling God by a special name in verse 19. Verse 19, when he says, Be not thou far from me, O Lord, O my strength. My strength is gone, but you are my strength. Hasty to help me. And at the end, when his strength gave out, What a state. He looks at his soul, and he says, as far as his soul goes, he says, I am poured out like water. He looks at the frame of his body, and he says, all my bones are out of joint. He looks at his heart. He looks at his heart, and he says, my heart is like wax melted in the midst of my bowels. He looks at his own strength, and he says, my strength is dried up like a potsherd. And then in verse 15, he looks at his tongue. 
He looks at his tongue and he says, my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. It's in a statement of extreme thirst. This is the only personal need that the Lord spoke of audibly when he was on the cross. When in, in John 19.28, John 19.28, he said, and Jesus, knowing all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. That's the only need he spoke of, I thirst. How amazing to see the Lord say, I thirst, my tongue's cleaving to my jaws. You know, there came a woman to a well. Her own sin of immorality made her thirsty, made her soul thirsty. She's deeply thirsty. She thirsted because she was barred from being worshiping God, from being a worshiper of God because of her sin. She thirsted for cleansing. And to that woman, the Lord said in John 4.14, John 4.14, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst. Whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. The water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. And then the Lord wonderfully offers the woman this water. And the woman responds in verse 15, John 4.15, and she says, The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come here hither. And he did. He quenched her thirst. He gave her the water. There's a group of people in Capernaum, and they're just common people, but they're not satisfied with the religion around them. They're not satisfied with the religion of, uh, as we just heard sung, of it's not done, you have to keep doing. They're not satisfied and they're thirsting inside. And to those people, the Lord Jesus speaks in John 6.35. John 6.35. Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. He's standing in the temple. He's now with religious people. He's standing in the temple. And again, the, the, these people have tried to quench their thirst with religion, and it's not working. It hasn't worked. And so he says to them in John 7.37, John 7.37, in the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He quenches the soul of man. But he does this because he's on a cross, and he says, I thirst. He's suffering the agonizing pain of thirst. And then in, in verse 15, he says he's brought to the dust of death. Thou hast brought me into the dust of death. The dust. That judgment. The judgment dust that God told Adam in Genesis 3.19. Genesis 3.19. After sin, consequence, the sweat of thy face shall thou eat bread till thou return unto the dust, unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken. For dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. I remember so clearly when going to Jewish funerals, and I'm thinking of one in particular, and the white casket comes out, white, the star of David over it. Looks so great, looks so beautiful. The casket, it's lowered down into the, into the grave. And then each of us takes a, a shovel. And, and each of us, as if we're personally burying the person, covers a shovel, a, a shovel full of dirt onto the, onto the casket. Unto dust shalt thou return. And he said, thou hast brought me into the dust of death. All this he did, as the song said, were all for sinners' gain. They were all for our gain. He was naked so that we could be clothed in his righteousness. He was thirsty so that he could quench, quench us from thirst. He was brought into the dust of death so that he could redeem us 
and save us from the grave, from from the grave of hell. All this he did for us. So now as we come to the breaking of the bread, let's remember, let's, let's keep in mind all that he suffered, the specifics of what he suffered so that we could be saved. And then, and, and as we take these elements, and as it says that the, the, great, the, great, the great gospel verse in John 3, 16, how God so loved the world that whosoever believeth into him should not perish but have everlasting life. So as we take these elements, let's affirm in our heart once again our believing into him, the sacrifice, the Savior, the one who suffered all this for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much, Lord, for the Lord Jesus and uh, all that he suffered for us. Help us now, Lord, to, to have a new meaning in our heart as we take these elements in Jesus' name. Amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Reach Israel. Join Tom Cantor for the second annual Israel Restoration Ministries Jewish Evangelism and Training Conference in San Diego, California, February 22nd and 23rd at the Creation and Earth History Museum. Early bird registration, only $99, includes a two-day conference pass, meals, teaching, creation museum, and tabernacle admission, plus over $150 worth of equipping resources. Come hear Tom Cantor, Dr. Michael Brown, Dan Sered, and more on how we can reach the lost in America and Israel on February 22nd and 23rd. Call 619-599-1104, 619-599-1104, or sign up at ReachIsrael.com. That's ReachIsrael.com. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org.